Hi everyone, Jana here. Welcome to Million Marker Live. Thank you for joining us. One of the major reasons that I started Million Marker because I was frustrated by how many women have to deal with uh, unexplained infertility. As environmental scientists, I believe that environmental toxins play the role in my fertility struggles, yet there wasn't a test available that allowing consumers to learn about their environmental toxin exposures. And we know that environmental toxin exposures are just one of the many reasons that people might experience unexplained infertility. And there are so many uh, more part, moving parts that when it comes to fertility and also a lot of misinformation. So that's why today we're really glad to join by Dr. Clea Waddles of Functional Fertility. Dr. Waddle combines her naturopathic and functional medicine training to treat patients with a functional fertility perspective uh, using root cause, science-based, and body system approach to cultivate a fertile body. So um, she just sent me a request. So she also had a reel about things you should investigate during unexplained infertility. So we have many of you will be interested and benefit. Hi, Clea. So good to see you. Yeah, so nice to see you. Um, so glad you could join us. I'm super excited. I just gave a super brief intro. Great. So let's just like dive in. Let's do it. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit about your educational background. What led you to become a naturopath doctor who focused on functional fertility? Yeah, we could talk about this all day, but I'll give you the short version. So I, I went through my a nutrition degree first, actually, at Bastyr University. And as I was getting that nutrition degree, I really realized I love a food-first approach. I think it's so important, but I want to do all of these things to provide excellent patient care. So I went on to do my doctorate in naturopathic medicine. And as I was a med student, uh, halfway through my program, I had a baby. <laughs> and I really realized at that point, like, wow, this was such a magical transformation. And I also realized that I had a health science degree and I had half a doctorate and I still didn't know everything I needed to do for great preconception care. I still had to research that. So I couldn't even imagine what others were mm -hmm. feeling who didn't have that background. Um, and so basically I shifted my whole clinical focus after that baby was born and spent a lot of time rotating through my local fertility clinics. And it really helped me understand how lifestyle medicine, naturopathic mm -hmm. medicine, functional medicine can support patients anywhere along their fertility journey. So that was really impactful for me. And then after I graduated medical school, I went on to be certified by the Institute for Functional Medicine as a IFM certified practitioner. And now I'm able to combine all these wor worlds, the naturopathic and functional medicine and therapeutic nutrition and do really excellent foundations for fertility. Wow, so cool. So what oh, is cool. the functional fertility to you? Like what is functional fertility? Yeah, so I think there's so many parts to this and part of it is just the experience, right? We really focus on that therapeutic partnership between doctor and patient so I can really understand what is going on with your entire history. We call it the timeline. Everything that's happened from the time your mom was pregnant with you to this current point, every input that we've had to your health trajectory, I want to understand. The other really cool part about functional medicine is we use this tool called the matrix, and it's essentially a map of all of your body systems. And that's really at the core of functional medicine is it's a body systems approach. And I talk about that all the time. So 
no matter what someone is coming into the clinic with, I'm thinking about their assimilation and digestion. So how they mm -hmm. interface with the world in terms of their gut. I'm thinking about their defense and repair mechanisms. And that's essentially your immune function and your inflammatory cascades. I'm thinking about your cellular energy production and your ability to, which is relevant here, um, to biotransform mm -hmm. the environmental toxicants that you come into Sorry. contact with. Um, I'm thinking about your communication networks, which is essentially your neurotransmitters and your hormones, your transport system, that's your blood and your lymph, and then the structural integrity of your body. And I always say that's like the big structures, like your bones, down to the tiny structures, which I think of things like your cell membranes. So when I say it's a whole person approach, I mean it. This is so comprehensive. And I, I also see this as a major, huge difference compared to traditional medicine, right? It's a big difference. It's a, we call it an operating system. It's a whole different operating system. It's really a way that you approach a patient's history and everything that's contributing. And what we understand is, you know, I think one difference, uh, maybe I'll use PCOS as an example, mm -hmm. that if we kind of compartmentalize PCOS and say, oh, this is an ovarian issue, mm -hmm. right? Then we're missing out on the fact that there is an inflammatory component. There's maybe mm -hmm. an immune component. There's links to gut health. We're, we're really not opening the door to stay curious and we're kind of hitting a dead end with our investigation, I think sometimes. So when we're able to think about all of those body systems working together, we can really understand what's driving, what's the underlying cause of dysfunction in someone's body. So that's like a really, the benefit is the helping patient to find the root cause rather than just like treating what's, you know, superficial. Root cause medicine, that's exactly right. And then the last thing I just want to say about it is when we think of our body as a system where there's all of these different, um, these body systems that are interacting with each other, mm -hmm. we know, for example, that if we affect, you know, the gut health, that's probably going to have an effect in your defense and repair, which is your immune system and your inflammatory mechanisms. It's all a web. And if you think about it like that, anytime you tug on one part of the web, all of the other areas are going to feel that tug. And we can use that to our advantage. I talk to patients about let's leverage the parts of your health that are doing really well to support the parts that need a little yeah. extra attention. I love it. I love it. This is like such a positive spin rather than, okay, something wrong with your system, then the rest of them are also wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's really empowering because for most people, there are areas that are feeling good and mm -hmm. the, our labs look good in some way and we're doing the right things with our lifestyle. So really leveraging that I think is really helpful when we're making behavior change. Love it. So today we're talking about unexplained infertility. So what is unexplained infertility? Yeah, so unexplained infertility is kind of this umbrella diagnosis that we give when we've done this kind of standard investigation that mm -hmm. we know someone is ovulating. We know that their fallopian tubes are open and we've done a semen analysis. It's kind of like we've checked off those very basic mm -hmm. things and then we say, oh, if you're not getting pregnant still, we don't know. Who knows? It's unexplained. And it's probably the most frustrating diagnosis right. that people get, right? Because it's like, oh, clearly something's not working, but then we, we just don't know why. And it's okay. I often don't know what's going on. But the hard part is when we put a label on something, oftentimes mm -hmm. then we say, well, there's nothing else to look at. That's the end of the investigation. Mm -hmm. Where for me, when someone comes with unexplained infertility, that really opens the door for me to say, okay, mm -hmm. well, 
there's so many things we haven't looked at yet. And even if we take those very foundational pieces that, you know, for example, um, ovulation, we mm -hmm. can confirm that someone is ovulating, being that we measure their serum progesterone about a week after ovulation and we see that their progesterone was elevated, which means they ovulated. Mm -hmm. Okay. But what we also know is that someone might have their progesterone after ovulation that raises, they did ovulate, but it drops off super mm -hmm. fast and then they're not able to sustain a pregnancy. And we didn't account for those variabilities in the behavior of the hormone, right? So even within those very standard things, there's room for exploration. Right. So like, what are like, how, why do you feel like so many women today are experiencing this diagnosis? Yeah, well, if we, if we think about some of the other things that are more prevalent in my world that I see contributing to unexplained infertility. It's things like poor gut health, mm -hmm. um, nutrient insufficiencies, toxic exposures, thyroid dysfunction, adrenal dysfunction, uh, raging inflammation, I say. There's all of these other things that are contributing and we're living in a super high stress world. We're exposed to all kinds of toxicants all of the time. I think we're just in this perfect container mm -hmm that really brings forward all of these issues that can contribute to subfertility. Right. So you brought up the thyroid issues. So what role does thyroid play in infertility? Yeah, I love talking about thyroid. This is like the little hero, I think. And we really have receptors for thyroid hormone throughout our whole body, including our ovary and uh, our egg cells. And so adequate thyroid hormone is super, super important one thing I think about all the time is that our thyroid, our brain and our thyroid and our ovaries are always communicating. They have this line of communication that is going on all the time. And um, it, for those who've been with me on Instagram for a while, I love these little cells within the ovary called granulosa cells. They're my favorite. So <laughs> granulosa cells surround our little egg cells within our ovary and they're the helper cells. They help to nourish our egg cells and they receive hormonal signals that help our egg cells grow and mature. And thyroid hormone actually activates those granulosa cells so that they're able to receive those messages from the brain. And so when we see um, patients that have low thyroid function, they often tend to have more anovulatory cycles. So mm -hmm. they're not ovulating. And then of course, if pregnancy is your goal, it's such a bummer to not be ovulating. Um, and so there's so many ways, that's really just the tip of the iceberg on how the thyroid and reproductive systems can interact. So what are some ways a woman can help balance her thyroid hormone levels? Yeah, great question. I think it really depends on what's driving the thyroid dysfunction. So for example, one of the most common causes of hypothyroidism that we see is autoimmune thyroid disease or mm -hmm. Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's is really, really common. Um, and that's when we have some autoimmune activity happening in our thyroid gland. And so we'll see an elevation of thyroid antibodies. So I post all the time about measuring um, thyroid peroxidase antibodies. And this is why I'm trying to screen for autoimmune thyroid disease. Mm -hmm. And so if someone has an autoimmune condition, we really kind of want to look for the trigger. Like what is activating the immune system so that it's kind of having an attack on mm -hmm. tissue types that are normal and healthy right. in your body. 
And so the, the things I think about is, is there active gum disease? Is there peri periodontal disease going on? That can be a source of um, inflammation that can activate the immune system. Is there intestinal hyperpermeability wow. going on? Do we have food sensitivities? Kind of have to think about our immune system is normally tolerant of our own thyroid. Mm -hmm. So why is it feeling hyperactivated? Oh, wow. I've never heard about the gum disease connection. That's, that's super interesting. Yeah, I think there's some good data emerging. I think we've, well, to a certain extent, we've accepted intestinal hyperpermeability or leaky gut, mm -hmm. but leaky gum is mm. another thing that my functional uh, dental colleagues have really been bringing to my attention. And uh, there's also some hormonal changes. So, you know, women right. will tell us when they're pregnant that they have bleeding gums. Well, yes. perhaps it looks like estrogen makes your gums more permeable. So there's a big, big connection there to talk about too. Oh, wow. So you also mentioned progesterone uh, problems. So mm -hmm. for those who might not know what is progesterone, what does it do? Yeah. Well, let me go back to the very beginning because I already talked about granulosa cells, which are my favorite. Yeah. So we have these little <laughs> follicles which are essentially egg sacs that are within our ovary. And it's like a little container that has your egg cell. So when you ovulate, you that egg cell bursts from its egg sac. And then that structure that used to be the egg sac becomes a new structure that's called the corpus luteum. And the corpus mm -hmm. luteum is responsible for pumping out progesterone. Now, normally, if you don't get pregnant, the corpus luteum will secrete progesterone for about two weeks, and then it just kind of wastes away. When you get that drop in progesterone because the corpus luteum has faded, then you'll get your period. But if you do get pregnant, we want to maintain our progesterone mm -hmm. because progesterone is really responsible for keeping our endometrium stable so that we don't slough off that endometrium like we do when we have our period. So progesterone is, you know, the progestation hormone. It's the main hormone that can really support pregnancy. And then how does thyroid problem impact progesterone? Oh, this is actually a really fun question. So when we look at laboratory studies, I know it's not the same as being in a human, but when we look at cells in a Petri dish and we put some thyroid hormone in there, we see that they make more progesterone. And so that is a very interesting observation. And I think we have to take it back a little bit to how we make hormones. So, mm -hmm. um, and this applies to progesterone and estrogen and testosterone, but essentially we start with the backbone of cholesterol. And then that cholesterol, specifically LDL cholesterol, has to be shuttled into a mitochondria. And T3, the very potent active form of thyroid hormone, is really responsible for helping to shuttle that cholesterol into the mitochondria. And then the mitochondria does its work with a bunch of these special enzymes to generate hormone from that cholesterol backbone, progesterone being one of them. Uh, and so oftentimes I see patients that have low thyroid function, even mm -hmm. if they are still ovulating, sometimes their progesterone isn't getting very high. And we see in my clinical experience, when I start to support the thyroid thyroid with nutrition and lifestyle and sometimes even thyroid hormone replacement, a progesterone gets better. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is like, this is like the best explanation I have ever heard that you really break down at the cellular level, how these things actually work and then how, how they impact each other. I, I love it. It's so fun to think about, isn't it? Like the work yeah. that our body is always doing in there. Right. So you also mentioned like a stress, immunity, gut, nutrition. So, um, 
you know, one of the other potential causes is oxidative stress. So what is oxidative stress? Oh, oxidative stress is a big one. And I talk about it all the time because really this is, I think, one of the most exciting areas that we're beginning to explore in terms of fertility. But it basically describes an imbalance between reactive oxygen species, which I just simply say are their DNA damaging compounds. Mm -hmm. So an, an imbalance between reactive oxygen species and then antioxidants. So I usually think about our plant-based antioxidants, you know, vitamin C, mm -hmm. we have vitamin A, we also have vitamin E, glutathione melatonin, there's all kinds of great antioxidants. But when we get in an imbalance, uh, we can have some damage to really kind of fragile tissue types, you know, ovaries and eggs and sperm and all of these tissue types that are really responsible for generating a pregnancy. And so this is something that I really want to be mindful, especially when we think about oxidative stresses increased by things like lots of sugar and right. processed foods, low antioxidant intake and environmental toxins and heavy metals and all of these things that we are exposed to all the time. So it's really something that we need to be aware of. So then when you have a lot of oxidative stress, it leads to inflammation. So then how does inflammation impact your immunity and also your gut health you mentioned? Yeah. There, oh, there's so many parts to this story. So I'll kind of take this apart in pieces. And if I forget your original question, just like loop me back and okay. I'll come back, I promise. So let's start with, let's start with the gut piece, because I think this is something that's really interesting mm -hmm. that um, we see that with intestinal hyperpermeability or leaky gut, we have compounds that should remain inside the intestine, but our intestine becomes more permeable. So mm -hmm. things are able to traverse that intestinal lining and enter our systemic circulation. And that, I mean, our body is smart. It knows that there's not supposed to be food proteins entering mm -hmm. our bloodstream, right? And so it's going to say, alert, this is not supposed to be happening. And of course, we're going to have a big generation of inflammation and our immune system is also going to come to our rescue, really and prevent things um, from being in our system. And so what we have seen is that this inflammation can also really affect the ovaries. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have leaky gut, but then we have this ovarian inflammation that really impairs our progesterone production. Uh, and this is kind of one of the proposed mechanisms between uh, leaky gut and PCOS mm -hmm. is that there's this gut ovarian connection. Uh, the other really interesting piece to this is that there's been some animal studies. I don't know of any human studies yet, but of course, I'm keeping my eye on it, showing that there's a similar action that happens in the endometrium. So when someone has leaky gut, it ignites this mm -hmm. inflammatory cascade. They get a lot of inflammation within the endometrium, and that can really affect endometrial receptivity. So maybe this is another issue in unexplained infertility mm -hmm. where we can see the sperm are healthy and someone is ovulating, their fallopian tubes are open. But when it comes time for that, little embryo to actually do its work in the endometrium, it can't grab on. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another kind of connecting point. And then with the inflammation, uh, I have to bring up this topic of inflammaging, which is like one of my favorite things to talk about. So when we think about fertility potential and the, the longevity of our fertility, we really have to think about inflammaging because this mm -hmm. combination of oxidative stress and inflammation can cause our ovaries to atrophy, which essentially means that that tissue is wasting away and we're losing some of our ovarian reserve, which means the eggs that are available mm -hmm. to be ovulated. So I'm really thinking about these things in my patients who are, you know, maybe in their 20s and they're saying, I'm not ready to get pregnant yet, but maybe in five or 10 years, I'd mm -hmm. love to. 
okay, well, how can we really decrease inflammaging to prolong your fertility potential? Yeah, that makes so much sense. So how does nutrition help with all these issues, oxidative stress, immunity, and as well as gut, gut health? Yeah, so I'm always focusing on dietary sources of antioxidants. As we've talked about, we want to have this balance between reactive oxygen species, which we do need in a healthy mm-hmm. body. We do need some amount of oxidative stress. It's what helps us to actually break down our endometrium when it's time for our period. And it is actually important, but it's when we get that imbalance and mm-hmm. we have an inadequate level of um, antioxidant capacity. So I'm always you know, keeping it fairly simple, eating the rainbow, lots of brightly colored fruits and vegetables. Um, We also know that in terms of our gut health, making sure that we have adequate fiber, all Mm -hmm. of those brightly colored fruits and vegetables are really going to support a nice microbial composition within that intestinal constellation. And so I think there's some pillars, you know, the antioxidants and the fiber and the healthy fats, avoiding those things that really trigger oxidative stress, like we talked about the processed foods and the refined sugars. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no admittedly one diet for everyone trying to get pregnant, but I love the Mediterranean diet. I think that's very well researched in the assisted reproduction world. Mm -hmm. And I find it works super well for patients who are just trying to get pregnant for the first time as well. Your patients are so lucky to have you. Oh, so that's like so such cute. breath of like a knowledge and then connecting the dots and everything. So tell us about the virtual offerings that you have um, going on and providing also providing in the near future. Yeah, so I have some virtual courses in the works, which is so exciting because for the longest time I was pretty restricted, you know, to just seeing patients within mm-hmm. Washington State. That's where I'm licensed. And I would get these messages from all over the world of people saying, I have unexplained infertility, but I don't know where to look next. I don't Mm -hmm. know, you know, what are some other potential drivers? What labs should I ask for? What supplements do people take in these situations? Um, And so I really realized that there was just a need for education. And I am delighted to be putting together these courses that can help to really give some background. Uh, And even if I'm not someone's doctor, the feeling empowered to go to your doctor and ask the right questions and know what labs you need. That's really invaluable. Which is super important because I think a patient really need to become their own advocate because doctors are so busy, especially the traditional medicine doctor. They're not going to have time to spend a lot, really personalize your treatment. If you don't ask the right question, they will just miss it. Yeah, that's so true. And I always tell patients, I might be the expert in a subject, but I'm not the expert in you you're the expert in you. And so being able to, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, advocate for yourself because you know yourself best. I think that ultimately benefits everyone. Yep. Yep. So we're big fans of lab testing, as you know. So what are some labs you typically run and why do you run them? Yeah. So let me pull up my, I have a preconception kind of checklist that I do with my own patients. And I think that we can lump these into categories. So mm-hmm. I do a set of labs that are, you know, well, they tend to be well covered by insurance. Most people will have access to them. I can just order them to, you know, Quest or LabCorp. And then I have some of these advanced functional tests that we might consider if we need to look a little deeper. And I think it's so nice actually to have all of these options because we we kind of know that if we don't find anything right away on these normal things, that's fine. We still Mm -hmm. have some opportunity to turn over some other stones. Um, So because we've been talking about 
thyroid health. I do a full thyroid panel on my preconception patients. And for me, that means TSH, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, and thyroid antibodies, because we've talked about uh, why that might be important. Uh, I do metabolic markers, so mm -hmm. a comprehensive metabolic panel, a hemoglobin A1C. I like to do a fasting insulin. We didn't even get mm -hmm. into that, right. piece, but lots of uh, relationship between insulin and estrogen and inflammation. Um, I do a CBC and a ferritin and inflammatory markers. I'm a big fan of running a high sensitivity C-reactive protein just as kind of a screen mm -hmm. for inflammation. Uh, I do all the hormones. So on cycle day three, I do FSH, LH, estradiol, uh, anti-malarian hormone, prolactin, DHEA sulfate, testosterone, probably missing some. All I just do all of the hormones. It's so important for me to look at. Um, and then a week after ovulation, I'll run a serum progesterone to kind of check in on how that corpus luteum is doing. Um, I do some nutrients and homocysteine, and then I move on to my advanced functional testing, looking at, you know, adrenal stress profile, a comprehensive stool analysis, micronutrients, and toxicant exposure, and we might even consider a cycle mapping, like a, mm -hmm. a Dutch cycle Dutch map test. or a Genova Rhythm Plus. Those are my favorites. So, wow, do we have a lot of options. Wow. Wow. This is so comprehensive. We do have one question from one of the viewers. Oh, sure. She saved this this uh, this live, and then uh, her question is: What is the best supplement for endometrial uh, thickness? So I'm gonna push back and say that it's not actually a supplement. My favorite way to support endometrial thickness is with acupuncture. Really, it's with supporting blood flow to the endometrium. Mm -hmm. So acupuncture is the best tool that I have found to really support that nice, fluffy, thick endometrium. Um, but we also, the thing I see uh, is if someone has low iron status, so mm -hmm. we really need adequate levels of iron to build up that endometrium. And really, I'm going to say that blood flow in, I, I call it the un, unsung hero of our ovarian and endometrial health. And so the other thing I think about is food sources of nitric mm -hmm. oxide that can help dilate the blood vessels in the pelvis, allow nice healthy blood flow into that endometrium. It's beans and pomegranate and mm -hmm. leafy greens and dark chocolate and these things that are so delicious, so lucky us. Um, you will see when you look in the research there, there are some supplements like L-arginine, there's a number of um, supplements that can also support nitric oxide production. So I think there are supplements out there, but I'm very food first and then acupuncture. I love it. I love it. Always the choose for food first and then natural way before you go into medicine or supplements. Yeah, we call it the therapeutic order. And so not to say that we don't need, you know, supplements or medications or even mm -hmm. surgery, but we kind of take a stepwise fashion. Love it. Wow, this is such great information. So thank you so much. So I want to make sure everybody follow Dr. Waddles at Functional Fertility. I also want to give a plug because I'm a big fan for um, your animals. You're, you're a mama to many animals at Novo Rose Ranch. And yes. you guys just had Raspberry and Roland born and they're so cute. The, they're, uh, they're Highland cattle. So you know, tell so us a little cute. bit about that, because I think that's so cool. Yeah, so my family a year ago, you know, it was the, we were in the middle of a global pandemic, and I have two small children, and we just decided we're going to leave city life, and we're going to become sustainable farmers. So we moved to 
105 acre farm and we just we didn't really know what we were doing but we just went for it and now we have 44 animals and we have this little operating farm and as you said we have four baby calves that were recently born in their highland cattle so they have the bangs <laughs> they're so cute they're so and cute it's just been such a great experience for us to kind of see this interconnectedness between animals and people and the planet and it's been such a joy to watch my children go through that learning experience and i just feel so blessed to have that space I, I completely feels like it's really helping de-stress just to look at your farm pictures. I, yes. I just like love them. I am so happy if you could just be there and we have seven new ducklings and they're so tiny and so cute. So I take breaks from work and I go out and I snuggle ducklings and it's the best. That's amazing. So yes, everyone follow Dr. Waddles at Functional Fertility. Check out Noble Rose Ranch yes. because I think you guys going to totally enjoy it. We're going to love it. We're going to have, have to have you come back, talk about several topics like A1C blood sugar inflammation. That's a big one. Yeah. I think we have not really talked about that. And uh, we want you to come back, talk about also talk about your regenerative farming at the farm. Yeah. Well, I'll come back, talk about blood sugar, and then I'll come with the farm and I'll make sure I have an animal like doing a, an appearance in the background. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So good to see you. Yeah. Thank you everyone for joining. Bye.